0: Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com.
1: Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of Castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This is episode 181. We're going to talk about big, panfish, bluegills, sunfish, and all their little friends. But before we get to that, I just wanted to welcome those who may be newer listeners to the podcast. Over the last few months, I've picked up quite a few folks downloading and subscribing, and so I really appreciate that. And uh, if this is uh, a podcast you've been listening to for a few weeks or for a few months, you want to know a little bit more about casting across or about kind of why I do what I do, there's a couple of podcast episodes where I talk about that. If you just scroll back through your feed, you'll see introduction episodes. But also to head over to castingacross.com, that's really where the bulk of the material is. I write, and then I talk about what I write about. And so if you are at all interested in anything that I've spoken about on the podcast, then I would encourage you to head back into the archives. There's nearly seven years of content over at castingacross.com including gear reviews and lots of conversations with folks. As you may notice, I don't do interviews on the podcast, with the exception of uh, my kids every 50 episodes or so. But I don't do interviews on the podcast because there's a lot of really good fly fishing-focused podcasts that are interview-driven and interview-focused, so... Why would I do one more? So there are interviews, though, on the website, interviews with uh, folks in the industry, folks interviews with people who are creating fly fishing stuff and fly fishing experiences. And those are, are a lot of fun for me to do. And so definitely check those out. And as always, uh, let me know what you think. Matthew at castingacross.com as well as uh, please leave a rating and review on iTunes. That always helps get the podcast in front of more of an audience so we can increase this community. And as I always say, this is not about drawing people to this website or this podcast. It's about drawing people outdoors and helping them appreciate their time exploring not just the fish themselves, but everything that goes into the fishing, the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. And today we're going to talk about pursuing panfish not just panfish, but big panfish. Now I don't want to make it sound like it's the easiest thing in the world to catch panfish because it's not. There's days where I will get skunked, where I'm looking at these little six and eight inch bluegill and they are spurning every fly I throw at them, which it blows my mind. Cause I feel like as a child, that wasn't that hard that if I had a little trilly tailed, grub or a little spinner that I had no problem catching fish but maybe it's because I'm fishing more maybe it's because the fish are just getting smarter getting generation after generation of handed down knowledge where they are now able to resist uh, some of my buggiest squirmiest looking uh, flies but uh, there's days where I don't get skunked try to catch any panfish let alone big panfish now what is a big panfish well actually hold on a second what is a panfish now I am not going to spend too much time talking about the uh, species of panfish that are involved. And I use these terms interchangeably. Now, panfish aficionados might say, well, you can't talk about sunfish the way that you talk about bluegill, the way that you talk about red sunfish, the way that you talk about uh, warm mouth, the way that you talk about, you know, and I get that. They are very different. But what we're going to talk about today is a relatively, um, you know, broad brush approach to catching big panfish but those species I mentioned that's what we're talking about we're talking about panfish we're talking about that very same fish that you have a picture of yourself or your child holding up with their little mickey mouse fishing rod and the reason why we want to catch them today is the same reason why we wanted to catch them back then because they are fun I have long maintained that I would rather catch a 10 inch bluegill than a 10 inch trout of any species Uh, As much as I love brook trout, and I would rather spend my day up in the mountains catching brook trout of any size, if you want to say, hey, would you rather catch a 10-inch brook trout or a 10-inch panfish, I'd take a 10-inch panfish any day. Um, A river-bred panfish is one of the hardest fighting fish out there. Now, given there's a ceiling to how big they're going to get, particularly the further north and north you get, um, uh, in, in the United States, they're not going to get as large as they get, say in the, the mid Atlantic or they get in, in down South. That's where they get just ginormous. Um, if you haven't Googled, uh, panfish world records, you know, blue girl world records, sunfish world record, do yourself a favor and, and, and do that because they are just monstrous looking creatures. But, uh, a river-bred panfish is one of the hardest-fighting, most fun fish that you can get into. They are just thick and muscly, and they've got big, bulbous foreheads and uh, big, big fins that they they use to keep themselves um, a right in the current. And so, it's so much fun to chase these fish. And that's really what we're talking about—not just catching bluegill, which is fine; not just catching sunfish, which is fine—but chasing after the larger members of each species or the the largest, uh, uh, representatives of each species in any particular water body. That's what we're talking about. And that's what I wanted to share a few things that I've gleaned over the years of catching these fish, starting using traditional tackle. And then as I've shifted over to fly tackle that, uh, I, I think might help you as you are out in the canoe around the pond this year, or as you are, um, just walking around in your subdivision and you find that little retention pond that has some fish in it how you can maybe cut down on catching a lot of four-inch fish and maybe work up into that eight, ten, and even bigger uh, fish class. The very first thing that I would recommend is that you consider the hook size that you're using. Uh, panfish are going to hit anything. They're going to hit enormous baits. They're going to nibble at it. They're going to try to you know, see if they can get a chunk out of it. Uh, you only go have to go as far as going to a local pond and throwing a slice of bread into the water. Um, the smallest fish will come up and nibble at it before it even starts to decompose and because they are thinking, can I get a bite of whatever is in there? You'll see this with dead fish. You'll see this with just plant material because a lot of these fish are completely content with nibbling tiny, tiny macroinvertebrates, little tiny water bugs off of whatever is floating in the water. Um, So if you have a big honking fly, they're going to treat that just like they treat a mat of vegetation. And they're going to come up to it and they're going to nibble on it. And so this could be incredibly frustrating because every time your fly moves, every time you feel a tap on your line, you're going to set the hook, and that hook is going to be nowhere near small enough to hook that fish. This problem gets exacerbated as your fly gets smaller and smaller. So one of my favorite ways to catch a fish, if I want my children to catch a fish, if we're out fishing and one of my really little guys Uh, I want them to hook up, then what I will use is a strike indicator and a tiny wire-bodied nymph with some fluorescent flash or some marabou or something like that in a size like 14 or 12. And the panfish will gobble that up all day. Now, might you catch a large panfish? Yes, but a fly that size is going to fit in the mouth of a really small panfish And so you're going to really limit your ability to catch the bigger ones because you're going to have so many opportunities to catch small ones. And usually by and large, when you get into a group of panfish, which is where you want to be when you're looking for big ones, you're not going to find them all by themselves. They're going to be in a community. They might be off to the side and they often are, but you're going to be around a lot of fish as you're targeting larger fish. And so I like to size my flies larger. I like to get up into that six and four size. Uh, And I also like something that is going to not necessarily uh, replicate a tiny bug. I like something that's going to look like a little streamer. So uh, just basically, you know, instead of that wire-bodied nymph, think of woolly bugger. While large panfish are predatory in the sense that they will chase down food, I oftentimes want to create an opportunity that is going to force a predatory response. So I had that same setup. So if you just want to catch a fish, do what I do. Strike indicator down to a tiny nymph, and you're going to catch a lot of panfish. You adjust that, that uh, depth between the strike indicator and that, uh, that fly, or better yet, use something like a hopper. So use a big, chubby Chernobyl uh, ant, something with a lot of foam on it, um, maybe even a small popper. Uh, one of my favorite poppers is a triangle bug, which I'll talk about at the end of the episode. Uh, and, and you have that fly in, it could be a small size, something that that small panfish could take. And then another like 14 inches, 18 inches, you know, two feet, depending on where the fish are holding. Uh, and then you have your little nymph underneath it. And I like to tie uh, off of the hook bend, not off of the hook eye when I'm I'm fishing for a panfish like this. But if I'm fishing for a larger fish, then I'll do something very, very similar. I'll have that larger popper, something that the small fish cannot inhale. Um, they might nip at it and it takes a lot of uh, restraint to not set the hook every time you see that thing go under. But the more you fish, the more you observe. And if you're using good polarized lenses, which I'll talk about here in a second then you will know when fish are just messing with your dry fly or your popper and when you have somebody that's taken it or that's taken that that dropper that's below it. But I like to have this set up, so a small popper, maybe something in the size 2 or 4 range, uh, maybe even smaller than that, 4 to 6, and then that 4 to 6 size streamer that's below it. Um, And I like to have those with a uh, a, not a wide gap hook, so not a hook that you would necessarily see on a popper, for example, something that's got a wide gap, more like a streamer hook, um, which is probably what you're tying your streamers on. Um, But something that can, if it's inhaled, if you watch panfish or bass or any fish like that with that same kind of mouth physiology, the way they feed, it's usually a quick inhale, a a sucking. And so I want that fly to provide as small of a profile as possible. So it's able to be inhaled by those fish that might be on that borderline because uh, i i want to be able to catch those eight inch fish i want to be able to catch those nine inch fish um, not just those huge massive panfish that swim by and so that is something that i will cast along the edge of weed beds and give it a little bit of motion little taps little ticks um, i have no problem using the tip of the rod to make that thing move and dance and twitch and it doesn't need to be these huge um you know like uh, water quaking uh, movements so you think about fishing uh, a, a popper in a traditional sense, whether it be with a fly rod or traditional tackle, you're creating a lot of surface disturbance, but that works. Don't get me wrong. That works really, really well. But I find that especially in the, in the middle of the day, um, even late morning, uh, early evening, uh, the fish aren't going to be as excited about a lot of disturbance. And big panfish aren't going to be dumb, and they're not going to respond to big splashes. They haven't gotten big because they've been swimming out of their hole, out of where they're hiding, for every noise and every sound. Uh, they, they've gotten big because they are smart, whatever smart means for a fish. So I like a more subtle approach. So those little uh, ticks with your rod tip, little tiny strips with your stripping hand, with your, your line in your hand. And just make that thing dance a little bit and have that dry fly move around the edge of a weed bed, of a shoreline, of some riprap, some rocks, um, a downed log, something like that. Um, as long as when you do that hook set, you're pulling it away from all of those things. If you do your hook set into that, uh, then you're going to be in trouble. But Anyway, all that to say, um, just having that approach, moving that dry fly, that popper, that uh, indicator along those edges allows you to dance that larger bait fish imitation or that really buggy, you know, just generic bait stuff imitation uh, into where those fish are going to be hiding. So you say, well, how do I know where fish are going to be hiding? So that's my second thing. Polarized sunglasses are an absolute essential really in every aspect of fishing, but when you're fishing for larger panfish because they are going to be holed up. I rarely see large panfish swimming out in open water. Does it happen? Yes. But again, these fish didn't get to be the size that they got because they were dumb and they are going to be opportunistic. They're going to be hiding out in weed beds, under rocks, um, in culverts, uh, an overhanging uh, tree limbs. They're going to be down in little depressions in the water, uh, you know, where the, where the, the um, stream bed uh, drops out for like a foot or something like that, where a rock had gotten dislodged or something to that effect. Um, and, and that's where they're going to be hanging out. So to be able to see those spots where you have a dark gray uh, stream bottom, and all of a sudden it goes black for a little bit of a spot where you have uh, light green weed coverage a couple feet underneath the water, and then it gets to dark green. Those are the places that you want to key in on. And if you've been fishing for any period of time or you've wore polarized sunglasses for any period of time, you understand how much that pops out to you when you're wearing those polarized glasses. And so, being able to identify those spots and being able to really see the nuance in between two different colors of stream bottom or pond bottom or vegetation and understand that that is a change in depth or a change in density. And that's another thing that we don't often talk about. Um, If you live in an area, particularly in the south of the United States, where you have invasive weeds or you just have even of the, of the native plants where it gets really, really thick, but more often it's because of some sort of invasive weed or some over-nitrogenated situation from you know local farms or, or subdivisions, you're going to have weeds that are too thick for large fish to penetrate. There's even situations where I've seen weeds that are too thick for small fish to penetrate. This is what chokes out um, you know, healthy life, whether it be macroinvertebrates or native plants, or even that particular species of plant it gets so thick that it's unable to sustain itself because um, the middle of it ends up dying because it has no access to uh, water and no access to the sun. So it's pretty hard to photosynthesize when you don't have access to the sun. Anyway, all that to say, um, you know, y- you are able to see the density of two weed beds, And realize one's a little bit looser, and that's the kind of place that a fish or a larger fish is going to back into because now it is, it is concealed. And it also has that security of something that's impenetrable on one side of it. And so being able to see the difference in the density is something that you're going to be able to do with polarized sunglasses. And if you are fishing a farm pond or fishing a pond in your subdivision, and you have something like that, those are the places where you're going to want to target as you are looking for larger sunfish, not cast randomly out into the middle. Might you hit it, hit it, you know, lucky and you cast right next to a thick weed bed or a drop off or a large rock, um, or an old tire that's been thrown in there, um, where a large sunfish is hanging out. Absolutely. But if you're trying to be intentional and purposeful, those are the kind of spots that you want to target where you have that change of, of, of one spot to another spot. So depth, um, uh, cover, uh, or even just, uh, overhanging structure where those fish are going to hide out and having the ability to see that is essential. And something that I've said with, with trout fishing, you know, before is, is similar, which is when you fish that spot out and you haven't caught something paddle over there, walk over there, get right on top of it, see where you were fishing to. Don't assume that you were making the right decision that first time. And then when you go back that second time, you do the exact same thing. And then you realize, you know what? There actually wasn't a change in stream structure or, or, or the, the depth of the, the pond at that point. It's an illusion from a shadow. It, it might just be two different color rocks, which, I mean, there, there actually can be benefits of fishing two different colors, but that's for a different podcast. But uh, once you fish that spot out, Go and get right on top of it. If you're waiting, go walk through it. You know, see is there a change in in depth? Is there a change in even temperature of the water? And realize, you know what? This is actually I thought this went deeper, but actually got shallower. Um, and and get to know that spot you're fishing. So when you come back the next time, you can either target it better or just avoid it altogether if it's not actually a spot that is going to benefit you. All right. The third thing to share regarding large panfish. I mean, there's more things to share, of course, but third thing for this podcast episode is jigging and dragging jigs along the bottom. I have caught more large panfish fishing traditional gear, you know, spinning gear, and fly fishing by effectively imitating a small crayfish. It is one of my favorite ways to fish, but I don't necessarily even need to use crayfish flies. But that's what I think of. When I get to the spots that I've been talking about, and it's really helpful if the water's clear and you can see it, but to drag a, a even something like a, a woolly bugger tied on a, a, a jig hook, um, or you tie a woolly bugger, but you tie it almost like a Clouser style, where you use uh, uh, either bead chain eyes or bar, uh, dumbbell eyes, and you put them on the, the top side of the hook so it rides hook point up. And you use, I mean, any color works, but you know if you really want to imitate a crayfish, you can use like a reddish brown. And you drop that thing right in the middle. Of a clear spot. I'm not saying fishing for like spawning fish. But you, you know what I'm talking about. The, the kind of spots where bluegill hang out. You drop it in the middle of a clear spot. Adjacent to an overhanging um, branch. Uh, a downed limb. A thick weed bed. A bunch of rocks. And you just slowly drag that thing. Giving it little hops and skips. And that is when and where I have encountered the largest panfish. And For them, that is an incredibly nutrient-rich meal. Um, That is an incredibly uh, easy way to get calories without expending calories. And although they're not smart in the sense that you and I are smart, all they care about is how much can I get for as little of effort and energy as possible. And that is what a a food source like that offers them. Do they necessarily say, oh, that's a crayfish? Or could they just think that is a bouncing, uh, easy-to-get piece of food? I kind of think it's more of the latter, but if you can get to a position where you can fish that way, where you can drag something along the bottom, sight fishing is always good. If you are in a canoe or you're on a stream bank and you can do that and you're close enough and you can, you can maintain some sort of cover so that you're not going to spook the fish, uh, then that is in my humble opinion, the best way to target large fish. So we talked kind of about the place we talked a little bit about the hook size um, when we're talking about uh, you know making sure that your your dry dropper was the right the right size, but then adding in that strategy of dragging a fly across the bottom, always helpful if the hook point is up, always helpful if it is in a color that is contrasting to that bottom so that you can see it. Um, I, I do think natural colors are really helpful for a larger fish. Catch lots of bluegill on neon pinks and neon greens and uh, bright whites, but I feel like I have a lot more confidence when I'm fishing a dark brown on a light brown bottom, or a light brown on a dark brown bottom, or an olive on a like a neon green weed situation. Um, I just feel like that is a more subtle finesse approach that takes advantage of a fish that might have a little bit of uh, spook in it, um, where it might be uh, a little bit wiser because it's been around the block once or twice. So three relatively simple things, things that, you know, I would say I'm not telling you anything that you're not going to hear or see if you read some sort of, you know, crappy magazine or or panfish fishing magazine for folks who are using uh, the, the highest end, most newfangled, fancy panfish gear down in like the Carolinas to catch those huge dinner plate sized panfish, but it translates into fly fishing. And it's a way to take a afternoon on the pond or, uh, you know, a morning with your kids and really just bump it up a notch where you'll able to say, Hey, we caught like, you know, 20 fish yesterday. That's awesome. Let's see if we can catch a really big one and even do that for yourself. I mean, it's awesome to catch 26 inch panfish. That's so much fun. And it's a pretty good meal depending on where you are. But uh, to to double the size of those fish, that is really where you can say, you know what? Uh, instead of going trout fishing today, I'm going to spend my time trying to catch the biggest panfish in this pond because it will double over that four weight or that five weight. And that's uh, that's that's a lot of fun. We didn't even talk about rivers today. And that's really where you, you get into your enjoyment. You can translate a lot of things that I said into rivers, uh, but uh, those fish, man, there's something else. This week on castingacross.com, the first article is called Sitting in a Library Reading a Fishing Book. So, sitting in a library, reading a fishing book. And this was my first foray into writing about how John Girac got me back into reading. Um, and specifically into fishing reading. And so it was a, a lot of fun to write. Uh, somebody, I want to say called me out, but remember how I always say no one gives me accusations when I ask for accusations on the podcast? Uh, this was a little bit of an accusation, like, why haven't you talked about John Girock? So I'm writing about uh, my experience with John Gearock, uh goodness, 25 plus years ago, and how uh, he was a instrumental author in my appreciation for not just fishing, uh, literature, but uh, getting back into reading in general. And so that's on the website from Monday. Wednesday's article is called Bigger Works Better, Costa Reefden Pro. So I like Costa Del Mar fishing glasses. Well, they're, they're general glasses, but I use them for fishing as well as driving, as well as hiking, as well as jogging, everything I do, because they are the clearest, most durable lenses that I've encountered And I've used all the big names. Um, I'm happy to do a compare and contrast, but I have kind of done that passively myself in the fact that I've spent money on on all of them. And uh, their new Pro Series, which came out last year with two of the most popular frames, the uh, Fantails and the Blackfins, they've come out with a couple more of their Pro Frames uh, with some of their other popular uh, frame styles, including the Reefton. And the Reefton is a pair of sunglasses that even just two or three years ago, I looked at and said, man, no way, that's way too big. And to be honest with you, it is a little big for me, but it works just fine. And I like how, no matter where my eyes go, I see glass. Um, there's a couple of places, of course, by my nose, and if I look straight down, where I see a little bit of uh, of peripheral light coming in. But I've gotten to the point in life where I don't I, I don't want to look bad, but I feel like performing is better than uh, being stylish. But I think they look pretty cool too. So I talk a little bit about. Uh, the Costa Reefton Pro, but also more more broadly about why you as an angler would benefit from larger sunglasses. Not saying you need to get those fit overs, but uh, I think bigger does work better, and I explain a few reasons why and then kind of give a plug for why I like fishing in uh, Costa sunglasses, specifically their new Pro line. This week's recommendation on casting across is something that I've talked about before, and that is panfish on the fly. Uh, Bart's website, Panfish on the Fly, is a great resource for folks who are doing what I talked about today, uh, fishing for panfish using fly fishing gear. He has uh, tons of fly uh, suggestions, uh, fly recipes, tactics, species spotlights, all the kind of things that you would want and need when it comes to looking for big and plentiful panfish. But he also has a fly that is incredibly effective, and I've recommended this before, is the triangle bug. The triangle bug he designed to be easily eaten by panfish. They have small mouths, big fish, small mouths, And uh, the way that he's designed it, they can get the fly in their mouth um, and, and I'll let him talk about it. You can check it out on his website, but it is an easy to tie fly. If you say, I don't tie flies. If you get a triangle bug kit, you are going to be tying flies and you'll have every popper that you need. Well, that's a little bit of an overstatement. There's other poppers that work really well that he'll even tell you that, but the triangle bug is a great popper. It's the one that I load up my kids fly boxes with. It's the one that I tie small for panfish, tie larger for other toothy critters up here, uh, in, in new England. Um, because again, they're so easy to tie that. They're they get chewed up no problem and even bigger versions for bass and things like that so uh definitely check out the triangle bug kit and all of the tools and recipes for tying the triangle bug i'll put some links to bart's website panfish on the fly on this podcast page on castingacross.com thanks for listening to the casting across fly fishing podcast please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and then rate the podcast on itunes then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish